Good morning, everybody. We're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, we'd like to go through books of the Bible, and we've been going through the book of Habakkuk. And as our congregation will gladly tell you, the book of Habakkuk has been fun, right? Of course. We said before that Habakkuk was probably written sometime between 640 and 609 B.C., and Habakkuk's name itself means to embrace or to hug, and so our prayer is that God would embrace you. You would feel God's hug, His love through the prophet Habakkuk. We've said that Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets, part of the book of the Twelve, which should all be read together, kind of interdependent on one another. Minor prophet, not because what he has to say isn't important, but because it's a smaller book than Isaiah or Jeremiah or others. So over the last few weeks, we've been in Habakkuk, and in the first week, we heard Habakkuk's complaint, his cry out to God. And as Habakkuk was complaining, he was looking around and saying, look, God, look around me, all this evil among your people, the people of Judah, because again, remember Habakkuk, a prophet of the southern kingdom of Judah. And Habakkuk's complaint is, God, how long are you going to let all this evil around me exist with your people? And so the question we need to ask is, do we care? Do we look around and see evil among us in this church and in the church and say, God, how long? Please cleanse our churches. Next week we saw that the Lord interjects Himself into Habakkuk's complaint. And gives an answer. And he says, I'm raising up these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, to come and do their worst. They're going to come. They're going to kill many. They're going to capture. They're going to take my people away, just like what happened to the northern kingdom in 722 by the Assyrians. Because again, the prophets would come. They would say, you're breaking God's law. Repent. Israel would say, no. Judah is saying no, and Habakkuk's crying out. So God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, and they're going to come, and they're going to wipe you out. And as we talked about before, we see Habakkuk come back with, what? Wait, wait, wait what do you mean? Like that? That's plan A? That's the plan, Lord? That's like, again, today us praying, God, please come and cleanse our church. And he says, fine, I'm sending ISIS down to take care of it. No, 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 no. And that's what we saw last week was Habakkuk's complaint here and how the Lord is using someone more evil than the people of Judah to come and cleanse. And Habakkuk makes the argument, Lord, you're too holy to let this happen. You're too pure. You're too good. I know that you're all-powerful. I know that you're over everything. This doesn't make sense. You can't use someone that's worse than we are to come and judge us. Judge us. No, Lord. Certainly not. These evil people, you've ordained them as judgment, he says. Oh, Lord. So after he makes his case, we saw that he, in chapter 2, verse 1, says, I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself at the tower. I will look out to see what he, God, will say to me, and I will answer concerning my complaint. 
Habakkuk saying, I'm going to wait, Lord, because I've made my case. I've cried out, and this isn't right, and I'm going to wait to hear from you. And isn't that something that we do? We make our case, but we do want to cry out to God, and we do want to hear from the Lord. That's a good thing Habakkuk's doing. I don't know about the challenging the Lord in this way, but it is good to take our stance on our watch post. Again, this, these, these walls around the cities, up in the towers, the lookout. We do want to be looking out for what the Lord will say. And so today we are going to cover what the Lord says to Habakkuk, his response. Verse 2, And the Lord answered me. Good place to stop there. Realize that when we cry out to the Lord as believers, He always answers. It may not be the answer we're looking for. It may not be the answer we hoped for. But the Lord does answer. Many times the answer is yes, if it's in accordance with His will. If it's something we've asked for without wavering as James talks about. And it's something that's good for us because He's a good dad who loves us. He will answer yes. If it is something that is against His will, something that will hurt us, something that's bad, He will answer no. And then other times He will just simply say, wait. But the Lord does answer. Habakkuk says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision... Make it plain on the tablet so he may run who reads it. The Lord answers him and says, write this down. And isn't it amazing how God is so wise that He has His Word written down? It's not all oral that's just passed on. There's a method of sharing the Gospel, especially overseas or in contexts where people do not understand, uh, they're not able to read or they're not re- really able to, able to comprehend when they do read. And so it's called uh, Bible storing. And so there's lists of stories from the Bible and it is the Word of God. And, and they'll do these stories and people will memorize them and they'll tell them in the, sto- in the villages. And we're seeing people come to faith and this is great. But where I had issue when I talked with some missionaries, I said... I disagree with you because they were saying this is all that these people need and look how fast the Gospel goes out. And I said, I disagree with you on this. I think Scripture teaches that they need the full counsel of God. Well, they can't read. Well, then it's our job to make sure that some can, especially those who are the leaders will be the leaders in the churches. They need to learn to read so they can read the Word of God. Now, yes, sometimes the Bible's not been translated into the languages. That's why we got to keep working. That's why we got to keep giving. That's why we got to keep going so that the Bible will be translated into these languages. We teach the leaders to read and then they can continue to shepherd. Because here's what happens. Listen to this. Check this out. This has been going on 10, 15 years, this Bible storing, maybe even 20 now. But it's been going on and what we found was in the first cultures when this took place, it was great. But do you know what happened after 10, 15 years of those stories over and over again with that because they weren't written down? Yeah, that's right, they began to change. And those stories began to change, but God is so wise that He's given His Word. It is written for us. 
So he's telling Habakkuk here, write this down. And what's interesting is make it plain, make it clear. Yes, there are some confusing parts in Scripture, but he says, make it plain. And folks, salvation is plain and clear. Clear enough that a child can truly follow Christ. Yes, learning as they get older, but deep enough that you can spend your entire life trying to mine the riches and the treasures out of Scripture. It's because it's God's Word. Both can be true. Make it plain. The Gospel is plain. We're sinners in need of a Savior. We're dead and we need to be made alive. And it's through the sinless life, the sacrificial death, and the powerful resurrection of Christ hoping in Him, putting our faith in Him, in this message, in this truth, is how we're saved. By confessing with our mouth that He is Lord. Because again, He's Lord and Savior both. Believing these things in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. It's plain. But what's interesting is make this plain, this judgment He's about to say, make it plain on the tablets, God says, to Habakkuk because he wants those who read it to run. Here's the thing. You, where are they running from? They are running from sin. He wants them to run from sin, from the worship of false idols, from the worship of self, from the worship of money, whatever else you want to put in there. Run from sin, run to God. That's the plan. That's what God desires. That's why He gives us His Word. We see that in John. When we went through 1 John together, John clearly says part of why he's writing these things down is so we may know we have salvation. Know we have eternal life. Verse 3, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. Isn't that interesting? It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Oh, science will tell you and human thinking will tell you, oh, where is this Jesus? Where is this God who's supposed to return? It's been about 2,000 years. Apparently, he doesn't understand time. No, apparently, he's outside of it. Apparently, as Second Peter 3, 8-10 explains to us, that a thousand years is like a day to our Lord. And a day is as a thousand years. Don't think that, oh, it's been so long. God must be lying. His word must not be true. No, it's true. But the Lord is slow in his return because he is gracious to us. Think of the day you were saved. Think of that day. If you know it. How would you have felt if Jesus came back the day before that? Oh, you are gracious and merciful, Father. And although we desire for your return, we want out of this life, we want to be with you forever. We want to see you face to face without any sin in this world, without any issues, but just truly face to face. That's what we want, Father. But we also know that if you return, there's still a lot who do not know you. So it's that that double-edged sword. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and let's get out and share the gospel until he does. 
We've got to get out there. We've got to let people know. We've got to preach the Gospel. It will come. What's interesting is this vision in particular... comes, Judah falls about 586 is when the Babylonians actually come and do and take over and and capture them. This vision here again against the Babylonians around 539 they fall. So it has an appointed time that happens. Verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him but the righteous shall live by faith. This is where we're going to land because this is one of the most important verses in Scripture in the Old Testament because we see how it's used so many times in the New Testament. It's very important for us to grasp this Scripture. Now again, of course, all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is His very Word. But as far as understanding other texts, this is extremely important for us. Verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him. The vision here now... We're starting to see, speaking of the Babylonians in this kind of his phrasing, speaking of those who are unrighteous and then comparing them to those who are righteous. And we're going to see that for the rest of uh, today. But starting with, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. He is proud, this, these Babylonians, the unrighteous person puffed up. But the righteous shall live by faith. This is interesting. This phrase is used three times in the New Testament. The book of Romans... Paul uses it in the book of Galatians. Paul uses it, and then it's used in the book of Hebrews. Each time it's talking about things that are slightly different, but they are related. There's times where it talks about the righteous shall live by faith, and it's talking about that our salvation, our righteousness that's given to us is from Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ that's given to us, and that is through faith. It is not a work. It's through faith. It's like it's like if I was over here with, with Brother Roy, and I, and I were to take off this this shirt, this jacket, and put it on him and he were to give me his jacket. We're exchanging those two. Now he's wearing what I was wearing and I'm wearing what he's wearing. In the same way, Jesus takes our sin on the cross. He takes that and and takes it all on him and then he gives us his righteousness, transfers that to us. So there's that idea of our righteousness comes through faith. But it also is this idea of we live out our faith daily. Okay, When I was a child, I went to an amusement park, I remember one time, and I was told, you know, this is your band you get for paying in, but don't lose it just because you're inside the park. This is what you will do to get food and go on rides. Well, do you know what happened? Got into the park, got my bracelet, we go inside. It's time to go eat food, and guess what? No, of course I had my bracelet. Why would you guys think like that? That's so negative. No, I had my bracelet. But that's the point. You're supposed to enter with your bracelet. You walk through the park. You go on the ride. You eat the food. You get your drinks. You do all those things by the bracelet because that's how you got in. Same thing with our faith. Our faith, a gift from God, is how we receive our righteousness. It's how we enter into Christ. How we enter into Salvation, but it's also how we live our life. Going around is by faith. What does this mean? We're going to take a vote. I need someone to come up and help me with this. I'm going to take a vote. If you would like 
to vote for yourself, raise your hand to come up and be up on the stage with me for this. Okay, a couple of you. If you guys would like Brother Roy to come on up, then raise your hands. <laughs> okay, Brother Roy, come on up. Thank you. Okay, Brother Roy, you're going to stand right here for me. And what I'm going to need you to do is I'm going to need you to follow my commands. I know what's coming. You don't. You can trust me. (laughs) I know what's coming. You have the choice to trust me. Now, it would be wise for you to trust me since I know what's next. I've planned it. Okay? So what I want you to do, Brother Roy, is step left. Step forward, bend down, stand up. Easy enough. Easy enough. Now, why would he need to do that? Well, maybe I haven't revealed to him yet why. But if he's trusting me because I know what's coming, he should listen to what I'm going to say. If we trust God because he knows everything, he knows what's coming, then we need to have faith in what he shows us. Many times he doesn't show us everything that's coming, but he shows us how we are to respond, how we're to follow, and then the danger comes. But ultimately it's trusting in his commands, trusting in him. We learn that from his word. So, what would you do? Right. Step left, step forward, bend down, stand up. Perfect. Great. Well, I'm going to ask you to hold this over your eyes. And I'm going to grab this instrument out. Brother Roy, it's going to be imperative that you do what I've shared with you. So what would you do? What did I tell you? Good. Step left. Good. Step forward. Great, you're doing it. Now, there's times, wait, brother, wait, wait. There's times that we forget what we should do. We're following God's word, but we forget. And that's when we need God's people to come in and tell us maybe what we've forgotten. Especially when we were seeing things in the light. But sometimes, isn't it always the case, just about when things that were revealed to us in the light, we begin to doubt in the dark? God has revealed things to us, and we're like, yes, I'm going to follow. And then the hard times come, the darkness comes, and we begin to doubt. It's especially in those times that we need the people of God. What is he supposed to do next? Good. Bend down. Stand up. Go ahead and take that down. Yes! How important was it for Brother Roy to listen as I have a sword in my hand? That's right, I held it in front. And if you would have stepped forward, you would have been run through. But you went left. And then as you went forward, the sword came down. But you went forward, so it missed you. When you bent down and you listened to the people of God, it went straight across. It's important that we live by faith. We trust in the Lord. We trust in Him. We trust in His Word. And we obey. Even when it gets dark and we can't see, we still obey. And we start to doubt. We have God's people come and help us. We obey. Roy couldn't see. Roy trusted me. 
He trusted as I'm the one who knows the plan. And it saved his life. How much more should we trust in the Lord who knows everything? Knows everything now. Like, doesn't learn anything. He's known it all. It's all part of the plan. That's who we trust. And it will save your soul. That's how the righteous live. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we don't see, we live by faith. Last verse. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. Again, comparing the two, for the unrighteous person, wine is a traitor. What this is saying, it's not saying that wine itself is wrong. Again, Jesus turned water into wine. Paul tells Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. Wine is not the problem. And don't try to say it was just grape juice. Because even at the wedding that Jesus is at, when he turns the water into wine, people even make a comment of, hey, normally you drink the good stuff first, and then you bring out the cheap stuff because nobody knows the difference. You save the good stuff till later. Why? Because Jesus made it. Okay? The problem is, side note here, alcohol is an issue. If you're drinking and it's against the law in some way, like you're underage or you're driving, that's a sin. Don't do it. Alcohol is an issue. It's a sin if you get drunk. And then if it's a stumbling block for somebody else. We need to love one another enough. We need to love others enough that I, even though the freedom I have in Christ to drink some alcohol, as long as it's legal, and I'm not getting drunk, yes, I may have that freedom, but as if it is a stumbling block, I need to put that freedom aside out of love for everybody else. Somebody's an alcoholic, I'm not going to drink in front of them. If I'm going to try to reach Muslims or others who detest alcohol and won't even give you a hearing, put aside the alcohol so you can share. And some would argue that we should put it aside because it, it just gives money to this industry that's ruining families. It's a valid, it's a valid argument. I'm not going to go that far. I think that the Holy Spirit should guide you on this. But it cannot be illegal. It cannot, you cannot get drunk. And it cannot be a stumbling block for others. Okay? But for the unrighteous person, they don't know how to, when to stop. They don't know what to do. And we even see this. This plays into the fall at, of the Babylonians. We actually see that the king at the time, having a good time, party, drinking, things are happening, and then the writing is literally on the wall. It betrays him. The unrighteous person cannot handle the wine. An arrogant man who is never at rest. Jesus is the only one who gives real rest. Prideful people always have to prove themselves, worried about what other people think, wanting to look good. For those who are in Christ, we can rest because we are adored because we're in the Son by the, the King. Our soul can be at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, meaning the place of the dead. Like death, he has never enough. Death just keeps coming. The greed of the unrighteous person is like this. Continually needs more. We don't need anything else. We've been given everything in Christ Jesus. 
everything we need, all the spiritual, all the heavenly blessings we have in Christ Jesus. What else do you need? A new phone? It's nice to have, perhaps. But we can be content. That's what Paul talks about, learning to be content when you have everything or when you have nothing. Because Jesus, if He's your everything, then you're okay. The prideful person doesn't understand this. He'll never have enough. There are different sports athletes who will share that even after they've won one, two, three, four championships, MVPs, whatever it is, they still want more. There's this hole that's still there. They've done all they can really do, and they need more. This is why we see so many rich, famous, powerful people. And what do they do? They kill themselves. Of course, others do too. But you would think those who have it all, why would they? Because they don't actually have it all. They're never satisfied. Jesus is the only one who's satisfied. He's the only one who gives you the water so you don't thirst anymore. That's Him. He gives you the type of food so you won't hunger anymore. Himself. Last part. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. The Babylonians, this unrighteous one or ones, they come through, they never have enough, and they collect, they gather the nations, they capture the nations and collects them to be their people. What's so incredible is the righteous one. Jesus comes and He gathers people too, but He does it a different way. He doesn't go and collect them in that sense. He comes and He dies for them. And as He's raised up, He draws all people to to Himself because we see Him in His glory. As our eyes are opened and our ears are opened and our hearts are opened, we see Him for His beauty in conjunction with the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and the Word, and we see Him and we cry out. My prayer for you this morning is, if you're here and you've never cried out to Him, come be part of His church that is made up of all the nations of all the world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be around the throne. Our prayer is today that you would do that. If you do already follow Jesus, my prayer is that you would be like the righteous one and not the unrighteous one. I pray that you would not be arrogant, that you would have find your rest in Christ, that you would not be needing other things, that you'd be fulfilled in Him, that you would want to give your life for the nations to come and worship Him. I pray that you would be a righteous one who has been made righteous by, righteous by Christ and that you will live by that faith. You will wear the bracelet into the kingdom and you will walk around the kingdom. You will walk around with your bracelet living by your faith like we saw with the the sword with Roy. Oh, if we could be a people who live by faith. Listen to what Hebrews, as I'm closing, listen to what the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1 says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This faith that we're talking about that we want to live by is this assurance deep inside, this guarantee that we have deep 
in our hearts because of the Spirit of God. It's what we hope in. We hope in God's Word. We hope in Christ. And this hope is the anchor of our soul. And as our hope is anchored in Christ, it's by faith that we are with Him, that we follow Him. When the storms come, it's by faith that we lay down beside Him and sleep. And even though we can't see like Roy couldn't see, we have a conviction of God's Word and we have a conviction to follow Him. And I pray that that would be you. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you. We do pray for any in here who do not know you. We pray that they would put their hope in Christ, their faith in Christ, and they would believe today. For those who do, Lord, I pray you'd help us all who have been made righteous by Christ to live by faith. Help us to do this, Lord. We need you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.